And so it's here today that we turn for the answers of, of what are the foundational truths of love. We turn where for the answers? We turn to Scripture, right? How many of us today are turning to society or what self has to say instead of the Word of God? So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Very familiar passage, 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God, and anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. It's here that John, who is described as the disciple that Jesus loved, pens a whole chapter dealing with this topic of love. And what's amazing is over 24 times, John uses the word love in one chapter. That's what you and I could call a love letter. And in this love letter, he reveals to us several foundational truths about love. And the first foundational truth he reveals to us is, number one, the source of love. For centuries, mankind has been trying to describe love. Mankind has been writing about love. We have volumes and volumes of books filled with this topic called love. We've written poems about love. We've written songs about love. We've made movies about love. Love is probably the number one topic that we have written about, sung about, and shown movies about. And yet if you were to take 10 different people and ask them the question, give me the definition of love, you'd probably get 10 different answers, 10 different definitions. And yet do you notice the definition that John gives us, so simple and yet so profound, God is love. You see, if you and I want to experience love, we have to seek the source of love, which is God. And John here has revealed the third aspect of God. He earlier, and we didn't read this, talked about God is spirit and God is light. And now he talks about God is love. And it is his love, that personal reality of his character, that character of love that brings that warmth to his light. And that glory to his spirit. But what you and I need to see is something that is so easy for us to miss in this passage. And if we miss it, we will be susceptible to a counterfeit love. A counterfeit love that is so prevalent in our culture today. And it's hidden in the text because most of us, we don't read Greek. And it has to do with the, the grammar and the grammatical form that this Greek is written in. Now, growing up, I'm still dyslexic. I don't struggle as much as I used to, but, but I used to struggle greatly with grammar, and I used to think, who cares about grammar? It's just the content. But it's here that you and I see how critical the grammar becomes in the Greek, because in the Greek it is written in such a way that this statement, God is love, cannot be reversed. Grammatically, it cannot be reversed. 
Why does that matter? Why does it matter that we can't say love is God? Why does it have to say God is love? Well, what happens to you and I when we flip this statement around? Love becomes our God. You see, God, as he inspired these men to write the word of God through the Holy Spirit, made it absolutely clear to us that that God is love, but love is not God. And we see this played out so much in our culture. It has become the counterfeit love today. And what I want you to understand is this is not some new millennial thing. It's been going on kind of a long time. And we see this statement reversed in in what could arguably be the greatest love story ever written. It's actually a tragedy, which is what happens to love stories when you reverse God is love to love is God. And you are all familiar with it. Most of you have probably never read it. Romeo and Juliet, written by Shakespeare, one of the, the most famous love stories of all. And I want to read to you the words that Shakespeare penned in the second scene of Romeo and Juliet. And this is Juliet speaking to her lover, Romeo. And I want you to listen for that statement, God is love, being switched to love is God. Do not swear at all, or if thou wilt swear by thy gracious self, which is the God of my idolatry, I'll believe in thee. Now, for those of you that don't read proper English, just kidding. Let me interpret that. Because love has become Juliet's God, Romeo, in effect, is now her God. He's the one that she lives for that she will sacrifice for. She will sacrifice her life on the altar of love. Why? Because love is her God. She'll make excuses for Romeo. She'll cut corners. She'll even break the Ten Commandments, Commandment 1 and Commandment 6, because love has become her God. Now, most of us in our culture today, we don't read, and especially the classics, so let's put this into a modern-day translation for us, something that we see happening not just in Shakespeare's time, but in our time today. I want you to imagine the typical young Christian gal was a part of the church, and then, you know, just kind of on the fringes a little bit, and she's saved, she's a Christian, But now, after she's moved out from home, she's decided to live with her boyfriend. We see this all the time in our culture in the church, don't we? But see, she's not just living with her boyfriend. She's engaging sexually with her boyfriend. And she has a friend who shares with her a Bible study and says to her one day, don't you know that what you're doing is wrong? It's sin. And here's her answer. But I love him. You ever heard that statement before? But I love him, and I would never engage sexually with somebody that I didn't love and I didn't intend to marry. And after all, how could God judge me when I'm just following my heart? You ever heard that before? But you see, it's not just idolatry. It's adultery. And many of us today, we look at that, and what we see is the adultery part of that. But what we miss is what's driving the adultery. 
idolatry. Love has become her God. But you realize that this doesn't just affect our relationships with people, it also affects our relationship with possessions. And we can become idolatrous over possessions. We can love things as well as loving people. Love can become our God. And any time you have something in your life that is called love that causes you to say, I'm going to justify breaking God's heart and his law. In the name of love, it's not love, it's idolatry. C.S. Lewis so eloquently describes what happens when love becomes our God. In his book, The Four Loves, I believe it's chapter 3, he says, if affection is made the absolute sovereign of the human life, listen to that, if, if the affection is made the absolute sovereign of the human life, the seeds will germinate and love having become a god will become a demon. And see, that's what's happening in our culture today. Because for many of us, what we're doing is, is we're not following after the Savior and therefore experiencing love. We're really seeking self. And so we're experiencing this counterfeit love in our culture today. And, and it's the counterfeit love of lust. And on the surface, they, they look very similar, this, this thing called love and this thing called lust, but, but they're very different because they come from two very different sources. Love that, that comes from, from God and lust that comes after we chase after our flesh and the feel good and we walk by feelings and not by faith. And as I said, on the surface, they seem very, very similar, kind of like these two glasses of water that I have up here. Now, I need a volunteer, someone that's willing to help me. By the way, it's Trust Your Pastor Month, okay? You kind of, I mean, we don't want to get too curious. Anyone? Oh, Sophia's going to come help me. Awesome. Perfect. You didn't want that sucker anyway. All right. She's thinking about it. Oh, you got to get your shoes. Yeah, right. makes sense. You guys don't take your shoes off in church? Holy ground. Come on. You want to get comfortable when you're here, man. Come on down, sweetie. All right. This involves a trash can, okay, because you might have to spit some stuff out, which is totally okay to do in church. We have two glasses of water, and they look really similar, don't they? Okay, and on the surface, you can't really see a difference. This happens to be nice spring water. This is from the sea. Any of you familiar with salt water? Doesn't taste so great, right? So here's what I want you to do, because I think this is the salt water and this is the fresh water, but I'm not sure because you can't quite tell, but we'll be able to taste it, right? You don't want to drink this all the way down. So you just put it in your mouth and you gargle. Do you know how to gargle? Just swish it around a little bit, kind of like when you do it at the dentist, okay? So you want to try this one first? And if it doesn't, if it's salty, I want you to spit it out in there. And here's what's waiting, okay? <clears throat> you always want to get a treat for helping the pastor. You don't take, don't take a lot. Oh, apparently that's not good. You want to spit again? Man. 
What about this one? And if it's good, you can, you can swallow it. Mm, you want another drink? Thanks for helping me out. You're awesome. See, as I mentioned on the surface, they seem the same, right? How do you tell? Well, the moment you start to taste that, you say something's, something's not right here. The Bible tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? And when you and I go to the true source and we experience his true love, there's this true satisfaction in our soul. And just like with that water, yeah, I want another drink and I want another drink because that's actually going to satisfy my life. But many of us, we're going to these broken wells, we're going to these substitutes, we're going to the sea today, and we're trying to take in that salty lust, and we're, we're wondering why our lives are dehydrating and why we're dying inside. You see, there's a huge difference between love and lust. Lust always takes. Love gives. Love makes it about the person. Lust makes it about pleasure. Love makes it about serving. Lust always makes it about selfishness and self-taking. And so I want to ask you, do you see the true source of love today? Are you looking to the true source of love, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, God? Or are you looking through some other window that's most likely a window of lust, some form of of trying to get a feel-good? And if you are looking to that true source of love, are you also seeking the Lord? Because it's not enough just for you and I to see the source. We have to seek that source, which means do you have a personal relationship with God through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? The Bible says, and very clearly, love is this, that God sent his son to die for you and I, to pay the price for our sin. And when you and I admit our sin... When we get honest with God and we talk about our failures and we talk about our sin and we confess that sin and we ask Jesus Christ to forgive us from that sin and we ask Jesus Christ to save us from that sin, then we enter into this relationship with God. You see, on the cross, when Jesus Christ paid the debt, the veil that separated mankind from the Holy of Holies was torn in two and we have full access to God. We went from none of us being able to have access to God, only one person, the high priest, one day out of the year having access to you and I, having access every single day, 24-7. You have that kind of access to God. The question is, are you accessing that access? Are you actually going in and spending time sitting at the feet of the Savior? And I love the picture of Mary and Martha. Martha's just working away, working away like most Christians today. And what's Mary doing? She's sitting and she's soaking. And what did Jesus say? It can't be taken away from her. She has chosen the better thing. It's not so much doing, it is being. And yes, there are things that we need to do, but we're never going to do that if we don't spend time sitting and soaking at the feet of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So how much time? You have all this time, all this access. How much time are you spending soaking in the Savior? How much time do you spend with Netflix? 
How much time do you spend with Facebook? How much time do you spend with all these other things compared to God? And I think most of us, if we'd be honest today, we'd say, you know what, I, I'm running low. I'm running out. I'm, I'm, I'm running on empty. And we have a little bit of a concern in our country when it comes to oil. And we found more oil, right? But, but we're, we're a little afraid that we'll run out of oil. Why are we worried about running out of oil? We don't run on oil. Our cars run on oil. You know what we run on? Love. You know what we're in short supply of? Do you know what? There's an absolute crisis, an epidemic over in our country today. It's not oil. We could get on with life without cars. Yeah, it'd be hard. We'd have to walk. Might be good for us. But we can't get on without love. And so what most of us do is we run out of this, this resource that we need in our lives because we're not experiencing it in our family of origin. We're not experiencing it in the church. We're not experiencing it in our relationship with God because we're not really spending time with God. And so what we do is we look for substitutes that will never satisfy the soul. And one of the dangers is that we can turn to things that, that on the surface don't, like the water, don't, don't seem sinful. But they don't come out of true, authentically spending time with God. Why does it matter if we're sitting at the source of love? Because it affects every area of our life. It affects our ministry how we minister and why. The very motive of our ministry is determined by the one that we spend time with, God. And there are a lot of pastors today, they're in the Word, but it's not to spend time with God, it's just to prepare a sermon. They're not soaking, they're not sitting at the feet of Jesus. There's a lot of parishioners that you're in the Word, but it's not really to spend time with Jesus, just to gain some head knowledge. It's just to get an answer. It's just, it's just to justify what you want to do because you have a will and you're trying to get the Word to fit with your will. That's why you're spending time. But it's not really truly to spend time with God. And you know what starts to happen? It affects your motive for ministry. And so instead of ministering out of an overflow of being loved, you're ministering out of trying to get an inflow to be loved. And on the surface, they seem the same, but give it a little bit of time, and, and it becomes really evident that one becomes this performance-based ministry, the other is a peace-based ministry. One of those ministries is a ministry where we won't deal with the hard things. We won't preach the tough passages. Why? Because I need people to like me. I need people to love me. Why do you need that? Well, because I don't spend time at the source being loved. And so what happens, ministry very quickly becomes a mess. And we start hurting people instead of leading people. We start manipulating people because what we're doing is we're really using them to get what we want. And, and we're using ministry as a cloak to do that because really the motive of our ministry has become me. Because I'm not spending time with the Messiah. But this doesn't just make a mess of ministry. It makes a mess in our marriages. Some of you in your marriage, you're trying to get your spouse to love you because you're not spending time with Jesus. And so what happens is you're trying to force your spouse to be God. You're setting them up for constant failure. You're constantly demanding. You're constantly irritable. You're frustrated. You, you, you do things for them, but it's not really to serve them. It's to try to get them to serve you because you're just spending your life trying to get them to love you. Why? Because you're running on empty. But why are you running on empty? 
because you're not spending time at the feet of the Savior. And how many of us today, instead of ministering to our spouse, are trying to get our spouse to serve us? How much time are you spending soaking in the love of the Savior? The source. It's not enough just to see it. You've got to soak in it. You've got to seek it. Second foundational truth here has to do with the standard of love. And the standard is this. God makes it very clear, love one another. That is the standard. Now, church, can I ask you, what is our standard today? Is it Scripture or is it society? Is it self or is it the Word of God? Because for many of us today, we have made the standard self and not Scripture. Our feelings instead of the voice of the Father. And here's what happens. We short-circuit God's standard. And what we do in the church is we take this high and holy standard of love everybody and we lower the standard to what I want it to be. Because there's people that I don't want to love. There's people that I don't think deserve love. There are people who it's not going to help me to love them. And I'm basing love on what standard? Self. And you know what happens to a church that, that, that moves away from Scripture? Pretty soon, we don't have any standard. we got 600 standards. we got my standard. we got your standard, Bob's standard, Mary's standard, Jim's standard, John's standard. And they're all different. And we become just like the world. We're writing volumes and volumes of books about what love is according to our standard and not God's standard. You see, here's the reality of God's standard. You and I are to love everybody. Now, here's the reality. It goes back to the source. You can't live out the standard unless you're spending time at the source. Now, here's how that changes my life. There are people who I arrogantly, hypocritically choose to look down on because I don't think they deserve love. But I think I deserve love. You see the hypocrisy in that? But when I come to the cross and I spend time with Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner just like everybody else. I'm undeserving of that love. And that love is an agape love. It's an unconditional love. It's a love where there's no strings attached. They've all been cut off. It's a love that I don't deserve. It's a love that costs Christ. It's a love that's going to cost me. But here's the reality. As I spend time at the source, I can live out the standard. And many of us, we're not living out the standard of Scripture today because we're not spending time at the source. Can I ask you, what is your standard? Is it Scripture or is it society or is it self? Third foundational truth here is the symbol of love. And what is the symbol, the most unlikely symbol of all? It's the cross. It's right behind me. Big and bold and right there in your face. What do we want the, the, the symbol to look like? Well, we want it to be pretty, right? I don't know what it is about us as people, but we always want to like make things look pretty. And so we come to the Christmas story and Jesus is born in a barn or in a cave out back. And what do we do? We romanticize. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And, and we Pinterest the picture, right? No, I want you to see the manure and I want you to smell the filth. Guess what we do with the cross? We want to sanitize it, but it's nail-driven. It's blood-stained. 
It's splintered by sin. And that is the symbol of love. Jesus Christ was willing to die for us. Love is this, that that Jesus gave up his life for you and I. No greater love than a man laid down his life for another. That's true love, but we we don't want that to be the picture of love because that involves sacrifice and, and that's scary to us. And we want love to be something that's comfortable and it feels good, but it doesn't always feel good and it isn't always comfortable. And there's conviction that comes with it because we got to step out into places that, that smell just like that stable, those homeless places where people haven't showered, those ghettos where, where, where people don't have access to clean water. And from our perspective, this doesn't feel like love. It doesn't look like love, but it is love. What if Jesus Christ had looked down on sinful humanity and said, control, alt, delete, reboot, I'm done? Where would we be today? Hell. But what did he do? He stepped out of eternity into time. But here's what we've done in our culture today. And listen, I want you to understand, I'm not a bigot. What's the standard? The standard is we love everybody. And in this church, we are called to love everybody, not just the people we're comfortable with. We're called to love everybody. But listen, here's what we've done to the symbol of love today. We've changed it in our culture. And we have taken another one of God's symbols, the rainbow, and we've printed it on a flag, and we wave it high, and we say that's the symbol of love, and it's not the symbol of love. And the reason that we've changed it is because there's a conviction that comes with the real symbol of love, the cross of Jesus Christ. Because God loves us enough to, to, to save us where we are, but he loves us enough not just to leave us there, but he wants to transform and to change our lives. But we want to wave a symbol today that just says love is whatever I want it to be. Love is following my heart. We're right back to instead of God is love, love is God. And I want you to understand what's occurring in our culture today. Now, you and I, we need to love everybody. We cannot lower the standard. But listen, loving everyone doesn't include changing the symbol. We don't lower the standard and we don't change the symbol. Because it's here that you and I come to the last foundational truth of love, and that is the sacrificial service of love. That it's not enough to look to love It's not enough just for you and I to look to the source of love, to live in that source of love. We have to live out that source of love. What does it look like for us to live out that source of love? Well, it involves action. You and I just can't have good thoughts or good intentions. The good Samaritan, what did he do? He crossed the other side of the road and he went over and he actually took time out of his day. It cost him. It also cost him his treasure, his time. It probably even cost him his reputation because some of his own people probably looked at him and said, you know what, if you're going to help those people who are the enemy, you can't be my friend. And for some of you today to really step out and love the way that God's called you to love, it's going to cost you some family. It's going to cost you some friends. But anyone who says that they're my friend but wants me to compromise what the Word of God says so that I live a mediocre life instead of living for Jesus is not really a true friend. 
You see, you and I have to come to this place where we recognize that Jesus didn't have good intentions for us. He actually stepped out of eternity into time. He gave up the greatest treasure. Gave up his reputation. He let people trash talk him and spit upon him. Why? So that your life could be changed because of love. Jesus, as he instituted communion, was washing his disciples' feet, and he gives a new command. And I want you for a moment to picture the creator of the universe washing the feet of his creation. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? And there he is on his hands and knees in the position of the lowest servant, washing his disciples' feet. And as he looks at them, he says this, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Here's the model of love. The way I've treated you, I want you to treat other people. It's a lavish kind of love. It's an agape love. It's an undeserving love. It's a sacrificial love that's going to cost you. And then he went on to say this, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you go to church a lot. No, he didn't say that. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you tithe a lot. If you read your Bible a lot. If you go to lots of Bible studies. If you're in a life group. No, he said, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Love is action. Love is a verb. Love is doing. And so I want to ask you, in your life, are you spending time at the source? Are you making Scripture your standard for love? Are you holding high the symbol of love, the cross of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to sacrificially serve people around you? Now, there are lots of lots of different ways for you and I to love. And we've had opportunity to love on people at the other end of the state that we don't know. We have opportunity to love on people in other countries that we will never meet. I think one of the greatest meet and greets is going to be heaven when we find out the people whose lives have been touched because we just chose to lavishly love people we didn't know. Hey, you changed my life. Thank you for loving me, even though we were worlds apart. And today we have an incredible opportunity through a ministry called Compassion. And you know how Compassion International has affected my wife and I's life. You see, Angel and I lost several kids, and we went through the heartache of that. But through Compassion International, we were able to sponsor these kids in another country over in Ecuador. And it didn't just touch their lives, it changed our lives. It it healed our hearts and it healed our hurts. That's what love does. But so many of us, as we go through these hurts, we're like, I'm not going to love. I'm just going to hold back. I'm not going to be obedient to God. And I just want to encourage you, would you take time to love today? Now, here in a moment, after we watch a video, we have a special guest, Nicole, who is going to come and she's going to share with us. And she was a compassion kid. And she's going to share with you how love changed her life. So let's watch this video and then we'll have you come. My earliest recollections is finding myself at the age of five, roaming the streets, eating from dumpsters. We were forced to live with 17 of our other relatives in a very small shanty. If you want to be out of poverty, then you have to deal with drugs. Some of my friends were actually sold into prostitution. Kids dying for preventable causes. And as darkness engulfs the place, the devil takes over. My relatives always tell me, Michelle, you are so ugly. You will 
become nothing but a thief and a drug addict when you grow up. And those were the words that I heard from people whom I expected to love and take care of me. I watched as my 10-month-old sister died in the laps of my mother out of starvation. But right in the middle of this desperation, it was then that compassion intervened. What joy and dancing came to my home at the news that I'd finally got a sponsor. I received my first letter. We wrote back and forth. She said words like, Richmond, I love you. And that lightened me up. My sponsor told me that, Michelle, you are beautiful. You are precious to us and we love you. And the words touched the very depth of my heart and soul. Eighteen years later, here I am, a child rescued from hopelessness. One act saved my life. Saved my life. Will you act? A choice is yours. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. nine years old, I felt that my whole world fell apart. I remember being at home with my mom and my little sister when a woman that we didn't know came to our home and showed my mom pictures of my father with another woman and their two little children. When we found out that my father was having another relationship with this woman, we were devastated. But when my father found out that we knew his secret, he moved to Europe leaving my mom alone with my sister and I, but also with a lot of debts. I remember living in this very old apartment filled with mice and the roof leaked water. One day when I was washing the dishes by hand, I found a mouse in the water where I was washing the dishes. Also, when the rain came, we needed to move our things, even our beds, to not sleeping wet beds. It was a very difficult time for us, not just financially, but emotionally and spiritually. We felt just hopeless. But one day, my mom found a Compassion International Center. And she signed my sister and I up to be sponsored children. After some time, the pastor of the church invited us to attend. And when we went, we met our Lord Jesus and we accepted him in our hearts. So when, we were, so when we were going through these difficult times in our lives, we had the hope of Jesus in our hearts. So the first opportunity that Compassion International gave me was the opportunity to receive hope. This hope that is the anchor of my soul, and this hope that helped my family and I to walk through the difficult times in victory. The people from Compassion International helped us a lot. They gave us food four days in a week. They took care of us medically. 
They gave us books for our studies and shoes to go to school. They gave us Christmas gifts and they even gave me a scholarship to go to college. It was amazing. The people from Compassion International gave my mom as well to be the secretary of the Compassion Center in my local church. Then my mom became the accountant. And then my mom became the director of the Compassion Center in my local church. God is so good. The second opportunity that Compassion International gave me was the opportunity to receive redemption. Through my teachers from Compassion International, I was learning about God and about the Bible. And I understood that even though my father abandoned me, my father God didn't. He was, he is, and he will be with me all the days of my life because he is a good, good father. A while after my father moved to Europe, he started to call us and to support us financially. My Lord Jesus helped me to forgive my father, and now he is restoring our relationship. A while after, later in my life, God called me to be a missionary. Now my husband and I are full-time missionaries, serving our Lord, working to plant new churches overseas. Our God is a God of redemption. Just our God can turn bad into good. And just our God can make beauty from ashes. And the third opportunity that Compassion International gave me was the opportunity to receive joy. What a joy I had when I received these beautiful letters from my sponsor, Kim Post, from Rochester, New York. Reading her encouraging words, knowing that I am important for her and that she's praying for me, filled my heart with so much joy. My sponsor, Kim, even went to Ecuador to visit me four different times, including my wedding day. She works making purses, and she sells them to have more money to sponsor more children around the world. She has 13 children now. She's amazing. And now, my husband and I have the joy of giving back all the opportunities that I received when I was a child. Sponsoring through Compassion International five beautiful children from Uganda, Ghana, Africa, the Dominican Republic, Guatemala, and Ecuador. Being the sponsors of these children is a blessing for our lives. And today, I want to give you the opportunity to give hope, redemption, and joy to one child by sponsoring him or her through Compassion International to be released from physical and spiritual poverty in Jesus' name. Thank you very much. Isn't it awesome what God can do when we're obedient? And to think that it takes a little sacrifice on our part, not a lot. And so as you leave today, I'm going to pray, but as you get ready to leave, you're going to have an opportunity to go by the table, and I want you to take some time and to really pray. 
Because I want this to be a God thing, not a guilt thing. Sometimes in church we try to guilt people into things, and if it's not based on God's call and his love, it won't last. And so I really want you to take some time. But I will share this with you. A couple of weeks ago, my middle daughter Sophia came home, and we're in the empty uh, nester stage, which is kind of a fun stage. But she came home, and she had this letter she wanted us to read, and it was from her compassion kid. And to watch my daughter get it. John says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. And, and you and I, we've, we've got to model that for our families so that they can carry on that torch later. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for an amazing ministry, Compassion International, that literally changes people's lives. And God, right now you're calling some of us to partner in that ministry and to maybe put aside coffee or something fairly simple in our life, to sacrifice in some small way so that a child can hear about the love of Jesus Christ and their life can be changed by that love. And so, God, would you help us to be obedient if you're calling us to be a part of this ministry, for we ask these things in your name. Amen. Nicole will be at the back table. Let's be dismissed.